You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Sideways to Ferguson. Brilliantly finished by Ferguson. Hearts take the lead. And Ferguson saves the moment. Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. They, they they get you up and then they take you crashing right back down, don't they, after a couple of nice results before the international break were brought uh, right back down to earth. I am Lonnie Dunsire, um, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. We did well with our predictions last week, didn't we? Yeah, but they're not really predictions. It's basically like what... What hearts? What hearts result do you hope for this weekend? Is effectively what it is. Yeah, people. Yeah, I hope pumped. people don't listen to this and then take that to the bookies or whatever. I mean, no, certainly no. not recommend that whatsoever. No, no, pumped. Um, sheesh. yeah, I, I, I don't want it to deflate too much. Our little bubble that we were in and we were on um, in the last couple of weeks. But I, I think it's it's shown that just call canny a wee bit with with the enthusiasm, um, isn't it? Isn't it the way that life is these days? And, and it, it, the, the phrase it, it really is. It's either pelly or smelly. You you're either right up there or one result, and you're right back to where where you start. Everyone should be fired. And I mean, let's let's put it into context. We're not bad at bouncing back from adversity, but it showed pretty clearly a few flaws that, that we have. And better teams are, are going to do that to you, Laurie. They're, they're going to show up the the faults and the flaws that you have. And I think it showed that we really miss Craig Halkett. And as much praise as we gave to um, to, to Lewis Nielsen and, and, and Stephen Kingsley, um, Kingsley looked tired, and it wasn't his day. Um, we 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 can't really go with Kingsley and and Nielsen as a as a, a central defensive pairing against teams of the caliber of of Rangers. And it'll be interesting. I'm hoping that, that Halkett's back on Thursday because we really need him back um, to face a side who I would suggest are even better than than Rangers in in Fiorentina. Indeed, we will talk about 
Hearts Against Rangers took place on Saturday. And of course, we will look ahead to Heart of Midlothian against Fiorentina coming this Thursday evening. And we will be joined by a special guest, Mr. Matteo Bonetti, to discuss that big game against the Serie A club as well. Okay, let's get started with Heart of Midlothian against Rangers here on Scarves Around the Funnel. Uh, We are sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Okay, looking at the Hearts team, so just one change from the side that uh, that lost, that won against Motherwell. We won so long ago. Uh, Won a couple of weeks ago against Motherwell 3-0. Not too many surprises that Robbie Nielsen didn't want to change much about that side after a good result. Andy Halliday dropped out and Stephen Humphreys came in. So I guess, Mark, first up, just the one change, mm-hmm. but some eyebrows raised about that change in terms of who it was who came into the starting eleven. Yeah, and I thought he was probably our best player. Yep. And there weren't too many that got past marks, but... Don't think it was even a probably about it. I think he was far and away yeah. our best player. He, um, he offered us something different. In, in that position, a kind of right-hand side forward player. And I think the, the pick was made to try and provide a bit of physicality, but also to prevent Borna Barisic from getting forward as much as, as the Croatian likes to do. Um, so from that perspective, it might have raised eyebrows, and it certainly raised mine when I, when I saw it, because initially you think, well, what, what formation are we going to do? Are we going to go with Shankland and Humphreys up top? Um, but he played to the right-hand side in a, a kind of 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, call it what you like, and I thought Humphreys was excellent. He was, and this is it's one of these games, where we'll, we'll dissect a, a few of the moments in, it in in just a few moments, but you, you did see some of the usual Nielsen criticism rolled out, shiting it against, against the old firm, etc., now, you can criticise lots about this game, and we will, but one thing I didn't think you'd criticise was how we set up and the fact that it wasn't cautious. I would say, if anything, you, some, you could give a, argue that maybe we should have been more cautious about the way we started against a Rangers side who are still, despite having some poor results recently. I mean, you've got to remember the poor results are against like the Celtic, against Napoli, against Ajax. It's not like they're playing poor teams. No. Still with a heap of quality in there. We, I thought in the opening 30 minutes, I thought we actually played with a decent enough tempo. We didn't create much in the final third. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But I thought Nielsen, the way he set out, I don't think many people would have argued about his starting lineup, given who's available. Of course, Halkett being a miss is, is a big absentee, but he doesn't have him, so he can't play him. I think the only thing people maybe would have argued against was Humphreys. And like you say, he was their best player. So mm-hmm. you can't really criticise him for that move. Um, I, I think one of the problems, and you, you were bang on with what you said, I think what this did highlight, and we, look, we've praised, praised both of these players, deservedly so, but I think this game highlighted when you're playing quality opposition, a back two in terms of our two centre-backs of Nielsen and Kingsley, it's not really going to be successful no. at this level because you're talking about someone who's out of position in Stephen Kingsley. You know, he's a left centre-back or left-back, I think, but centre-back in a two, you can maybe get away with it against some teams or with a different partner, but he's playing alongside a lot of promise 
but a very inexperienced centre-back yeah. and a teenager in Lewis Nielsen. So against a team like Rangers with a lot of quality, I think it was exposed. Um, looking at the goal, obviously Rangers went up ahead in the sixth minute. A bit of a nothing header out by Lewis Nielsen. Probably could have done a little bit better in terms of trying to direct it towards a teammate under no pressure. But then the ball comes out to Kent on the left and there's just no real pressure or engagement from Smith either. either. Just lets Kent line up the cross. It's a, it's a very good ball. And then it's just really disappointing because Cholak doesn't even have to jump. You know, this is their top scorer. Nine goals this season, a Croatian international, um, their main marksman at the moment. Just has to stand still and basically direct the header to the bottom right corner. So very disappointing. And then the second goal, of course, Stephen Humphreys had that our only shot on target in between that, who was the main bright spark, as he pointed out. Um, but 20th minute, Cochrane um, kind of made a challenge and it sent the ball back towards our box. And it just, again, we seem to be sleeping. Arfield probably should have scored. Got ball came in between the centre-backs. And then on the half-hour mark, again, it's a nice move. Uh, lovely ball from left to right from Lundstrom. Matondo checks inside. But Kingsley just doesn't seem too sure about what he should do. He he doesn't quite step out to meet Matondo, but he completely loses Cholak behind him, who makes a good run, and it's a good finish on the angle. But they were cutting through us a little bit too easily, weren't they? Yeah. That's the difference between facing Rangers or Celtic and facing other teams, most other teams in the league. You get away with more against most other teams. You don't get away with mistakes and, and sloppy play when you face decent quality opposition. This was a game that reminded me of the match from last December a lot. There was a lot of kind of enthusiasm from a Hearts perspective going into the game. If you remember the, the run that Hearts were on, they hadn't lost um, since the February um, of, of 2020. Um, obviously, the, the football had been cancelled for, for quite a while, but they, they came into the game on, on good form. A lot of talk about, yeah, hearts are good value at these odds. And within 13 minutes, Rangers were, were 2 0 up. And it was it was very similar to, to this one. Within six minutes, Rangers were a goal up. And and I've said before, I've got a few a few pals that um that are Rangers fans and they were like, oh Jesus, we we are we're not good. We're not good. We played poorly against Dundee United. I'm not sure that the the players are playing for Geo. We've not been good in, in Europe, certainly at home against Napoli. So they were really worried about a trip to Tynecastle against the Hearts side going into it on the back of, of two important wins. And just didn't happen. It, it didn't happen. And we can't have a goal when we're slightly too adventurous um, when we have a goal with well, why aren't they more adventurous? Uh, so we, we can have a go at individual mistakes. I agree with you. I think for the first half hour or so, up until the red card, I've seen us play a lot worse against Rangers. Um, take away the concession of the, the two goals. Um, it, it's difficult because I still felt we were kind of in it. Um, even when they, they, they got their, their, their second, it made life a lot harder. But up until they scored their second, I kind of thought we're... Middle to front, I would like to have seen us create a little bit more, but I, I, we weren't great defensively. That was always the concern. But I've I've seen us play a lot worse, Laurie, um, up until that kind of that red card against Rangers. But but ultimately, Cami Devlin has has let his teammates and and himself and and the supporters down, and 
And once he goes off, then it's yeah. a case of right damage limitation. I mean, there's I think there's plenty of criticism you can aim at a number of players. Don't get me wrong about that. Um, I just think it seems to revert to the manager every time, and I think that's a bit of almost like a lazy narrative after yeah, that. I, 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 I saw I think, your tweets. I think I there was in, yeah, there was individual errors. There was a, a rash decision by Cammy Devon. We'll talk about that. I, you know, I think even Craig Gordon. You know, he gets a lot of praise. He wasn't on his game. I think he was very fortunate. Arfield's goal didn't stand, to be honest. I didn't think that looked like a foul. Nah, there's um, nothing wrong with that goal. Um, so there was a lot of players, you know, Kingsley has got, you know, Kingsley, like Gordon, has enough credit in the bank that, you know, we're not going to go overboard about it. He had a bad game. It happens. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I think there's collective culpability required. Like yeah. Everyone, Everyone's responsible for some more than, than others, but you don't lose 4-0 at home and then get off scot-free. As no. much as we wanted to praise him after the 3-0 win at Motherwell, which could easily have been a defeat, by the way. Mm-hmm. And this is what this is when you look at games like that and you go, oh, yeah, but against RFS, they were shite. And, yeah, we won 2-0, but... And against Motherwell, how we won that 3-0. That's, of course, that's the narrative you can take because you've just been spanked 4-0 at home. And, look, I, I think bigger picture, and I think it's important to play devil's advocate even against yourself. Uh, I'm talking about me or, or whoever. Our record against Strangers and Celtic is awful. Robbie yeah. Nielsen's record against the old firm is not good. So maybe he's tried to tweak it a little bit and have a little bit more of a go, be a little bit more adventurous, but it didn't work. So whatever he did, whatever the players did, no, it's it's, it's going to be better next time. But yeah. honestly, Devlin, that... I, yeah, I, I mean, let's, let's talk yeah, about let's, that. Yeah, let's talk about it. So I'm going to start with a different angle on it because Mark Wells messaged us um, and he said... I know this is against the tide, but I'm unsure about Devlin's red. It's unfortunate. He tries to put his foot on the line to keep the ball in play and turn back inside with it. If Matondo doesn't move his foot, Devlin doesn't catch him at all. I don't think he had to be sent off yet. We're bending over and accepting it again, behaving like he came from 15 yards and two-footed the boy. If he had been booked, I generally don't think we would be discussing a potential yellow. If he didn't catch Matondo, it's not even a free kick. Be interested to hear Ryan McGowan's opinion on my concept as a defender who who plays to win the ball every time. I just don't get how we accept the decision as a support, as it's not dangerous, it's not a stamp, it's a genuine attempt to play the ball, and he accidentally stands on Matondo's foot in the process. Free kick and yellow card, in my opinion, but the ref acted like Cantona, kicked him in the dugout. Far doesn't send him off if he's only booked. So that was Mark Wells. Um, now I don't I don't agree with that, to be honest, but we, we did put it to Ryan McGowan, so take of this what you will. He did say... Red card's interesting, as I agree with the tweet. I'm sure I said at the time, I don't think he's gone in to stamp on him. Just unlucky, almost ends up on his foot. He's an Aussie, never a red. Um, so it's maybe maybe a bit of solidarity with his fellow soccer there, Mr. McGowan. But what do you Let's, think, Mr. Donaldson? It's not what I think. It's what the law of the game states. Law 12. Excessive force. Uh, accidental doesn't come into it. Uh, that kind of foul, I mean, you could say, oh, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Puff. It's a red card. Violent conduct is when a player uses or attempts to use excessive force or brutality against an opponent when not challenging for the ball or against a teammate, team official, blah, 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 regardless of whether contact is made. That's, that's like, you're talking about accidental. It doesn't, you don't even have to make contact to be yeah. sent off. It's the intent. And yeah. uh, that it, that's a red card. Now, in a way, I, I think this 
this might not be the making of Cammy Devlin, but I think knowing the type of player that he is, Ryan knows him pretty well as well as the type of person that he is, the way that Van Bronckhorst reacted to him, the way that Cammy Devlin reacted after the game and got everyone around him to change him, apologised to them, um, I think it, it might have been more annoying had it cost us points in a game that we were expected to win and we were maybe ahead and didn't go on to, to win it. I, I'm not I'm not trying to downplay it or belittle it. It is a red card, but I think the reason I think it, it might be beneficial long-term is that he, the way that he plays football, I'm not saying he has that in him, but he'll think twice next time. Now, George Grant got sent off against Istanbul Bishakshi here for, for a dive. He'll maybe think twice the next time that he, he goes down. But but for Cami Devlin, and I don't want to take anything away from the way that he plays the game. No. That is that is his style. But that's not part of his game. I think John Robertson got it spot on. It's a coward's challenge. It's 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 not a good challenge. It's it's horrible. Um, it it's something that he'll look back on. And he'll not be proud of that. He'll not be proud of that. But he'll learn from it, and I'm I'm convinced that he'll learn from it. So I think long term, I don't think this is as bad as it appeared at the time. But the tackle is a red card a hundred times out of hundred. So I agree with it being a red card. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I agree with that. I I I don't agree with the. Uh... Maybe the extent of that, or it being a coward's tackle. I, th- I think now during commentary, to be honest, and I'm obviously I'm way back in the Wheatfield stand, and there's a few players around it, so I just thought it looked like a frustrated barge. I was expecting, wasn't expecting much at all. But w- when you see the replay, you can see what happens. I think what he's trying to do is obviously he does it quite often, and lots of players do this, is to try and get his leg over, like kind of around the player, so he can then get his foot behind the ball and, and steal the ball away. Um, he obviously misjudges it and because he's coming in at such a pace because he's ran over to it, right? he's not the player behind him. He's not Cochrane who's standing there challenging. He's got a bit more momentum about him. So just as he goes to make the challenge, Matondo moves his right leg. It's very unfortunate in that sense. Like He doesn't mean to put his, his studs down on Matondo's foot, but because he moves at last minute and because Cammy Devlin's coming at such a pace... That's why it comes down and stamps on him, which is a red card. Doesn't but he I get don't, involved, does he? No, he doesn't. But I don't think, you know, cowards tackle and stuff. I think it's it's misjudged. It's mistimed. Um, it's a little bit rash about how he's gone in. So I have no complaints about the red card having seen it. But I don't think it's one that needs to be blown out of proportion. You know, he's afterwards, he's, you know, Robbie Nielsen said, right call, Cammy Devlin's come out and apologise, take responsibility, we move on, that's it. The bigger blow, I suppose, is that he's now suspended for Kilmarnock and Aberdeen, both away games, both games where you could maybe do with that sort of bite in the middle of the park. But, you know, we dusted ourselves off and I actually thought we were reasonably reasonably well organised in the second half. I don't want to talk about the second half too much, there's no point, because the game was over at half-time and we're down to 10 men and 2 all down. Um, bit disappointed to concede goals 3 and 4. Uh, we just part- need to make sure it's a blip. Yeah, apart from, you know, I don't want to look for any more negatives because, you know, we don't need much more of that when we got beat 4-0. Apart from Humphreys, I thought Kiyo Mertzoglu, um looked decent in the middle. Uh, not overboard decent, but combative. Looks like he could put himself in a tackle. I think he could be a useful player, especially given 
Cammy Devlin's now absence for a couple of league games. Yeah, and it's small sample size, but but, but so far it's fine. Can't really judge him on. No, I'm, like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying he was fantastic, but I thought but we've got given, someone. Yeah, given we, we his, have that. Given it's his home debut, I thought you know he yeah. he looked like a player who'll who'll suit us and suit the Scottish game quite well. Yeah. Look, but, you, you can play Haring alongside him, and and Cammy will be missing for a a couple of games. It, it it is what it is with 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 Cammy. I think he'll learn from that. I think he's the type of player that'll learn from that. Just get involved when you need to get involved. Don't try and play the hard man when you don't need to. Play the hard one. Let your football show that. That I mean, it's funny. I listened to to last week's um, show this morning. Funnily enough, um, the bit about Cammy Devlin and the caller was talking about Cammy making us uh, hopefully a fair bit of money, and and Ryan agreed with them. I and I think this. I don't want to talk too much about the challenge. He's he's made he's made a mistake. We all make them. Um, he just has to. Think a little bit more, but you know what? Part of of the whole challenge, and I think I, I, adrenaline can easily be something that is continuous from making. I mean, the proudest day of his life in front of his family was coming on as a sub and, and playing from Australia. He's still on cloud nine. Now, think about think about it personally for each of us. Right when we have real highs in our life or have real lows in our life. Um, we we deal with that slightly differently, and and sometimes normality can seem a fair distance away, and and maybe he's still he's still trying to come off cloud nine, not really thinking. So let's move on from from that. We'll all have our opinion on it. He's not a malicious player. We know that it was a stupid challenge. It's not one he'll make again. And the referee was right. It was a red card. Indeed. Um, bad day at the office for Cammy Devlin. Bad day at the office for, for Hearts. Yep. For them all, yes. And a, mm -hmm. a 4-0 defeat. So um, time for Hearts to dust themselves off because it's a, a very big um, October. Uh, the games come thick and fast. Well, I'll be looking forward to this. Delighted to welcome to the podcast Matteo Bonetti, who is the lead Serie A analyst over here in the United States. I was very fortunate enough to spend three years in Matteo's company alongside him in the booth, in the studio, and at times in the stadiums as well. Matteo, how are you? I'm well and flattered to hear such praise from someone like oh. yourself, Mark. I know that throughout our adventures and the three years we worked together, you reminisced often about hearts, about your memories of, <laughs> of supporting that club and also, some of the pain that goes along with supporting your local team that maybe isn't uh, state-owned and has billionaire money behind it. So I, I, I do have a soft spot for Hearts. It is my Scottish team, just because I know you. And uh, definitely a big game against Fiorentina, and, and one that I'm actually excited now to watch. Yeah, you didn't really have a choice, because um, <laughs> most of the time when we were in the couple of hours preparing for games, if Hearts were playing, uh, that got my attention, and uh, and the Italian game played played second fiddle. Um, so the last time that you and I called a, a Fiorentina match was against Napoli in May 2021. I'm going to read out the Fiorentina lineup, and you can compare and contrast what we commentated on and what Fiorentina are like now, having just lost mm -hmm. at Atalanta and Bergamo at the weekend. So Terracciano was in goal. They played a 3-5-2 under Beppe Iacchini. They played Milenkovic, Petzela and Caceres at the back. Venuti, Bonaventura, 
Pulgar, Castrovilli and Biragi as the five across midfield with Ribery and Vlaovic up top. How different is the Fiorentina side now for La Viola? It, it's quite different when everyone's healthy. I think the assumption is that Luki Jovic was going to be the main man leading the line and would score a lot of goals, which is something that they desperately needed since Dusan Vlaovic left to Juventus. The two strikers that last season, or in the, in the second half of last season, Christoph Piontek and um, and then the Brazilian Artur Cabral, they just couldn't really get it done. I think Cabral had a, a few goals in 16 games. Piontek didn't do much better aside from penalties. So uh, Rocco Camiso, who's the owner of Fiorentina, who has you know deep deep pockets, but also wants to be wary of of putting the club in the red, and has spoken out about you know how Fiorentina have actually made money in the last few seasons compared to Juventus, who are down like almost half a billion in that same time frame. So Fiorentina has been a club mark that has had to be quite shrewd in the transfer market. So. When they sell a player like Dujan Vlaovic and, and get all that money, you know they're looking for bargains. So I think that they identified a big bargain in Luka Jovic, who is still a very young striker, someone that was sensational at Eintracht Frankfurt, scored loads of goals in his final season there, and that's why he was a Real Madrid signing. But obviously didn't do too well at Real Madrid, or else he wouldn't be at Fiorentina. So I think during the summer, that was really the, the main focus for Fiorentina, was adding that striker. Now, the good news for Hearts fans, who are going to be the majority of people listening to this podcast, is that Luka Jovic hasn't exactly gotten off to a great start. Uh, since we're talking about new faces, that's the question you asked me. Um, the other players, Antonin Barak, who they brought in, he's a big six foot four creative midfielder who joined from Hellas Verona. He's supposed to be a goal scoring midfielder, but he hasn't really gotten going. He's been quite poor actually, uh, since coming over from Verona. But other than that, there haven't really been too many household names to move to the club. Mm. They have a few new wingers since the last time we called the game, uh, Mark. They have uh, a, an interesting player in Nicolas Gonzalez from Argentina, who's very quick but has been very injury-prone. Uh, and then out wide, Icone, who's a, a good dribbler, uh, dynamic with his pace, but when he does find room, he's very inconsistent with his final shot or delivery into the box, which, of course, doesn't help the goal scoring. So I was looking at the, the game at Atalanta, and I know Laurie watched that one. Laurie, they, they now have Italiano as their coach. They've gone from a, a back three to a back four. Uh, they don't score many. They've got seven goals in eight games, another blank at the weekend in, in Bergamo. What did you see, Laurie, from, from that game at, at the weekend? The pros and the cons for La Viola? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm coming from it of an angle of only watching a handful of games. I've watched two uh, Fiorentina games this season, and hopefully Matteo will be able to to establish if that gives a big, a good big picture of them, or if it was maybe just not, not a good enough sample size. But certainly from what I saw against Atalanta, they were well organised, they were quite compact, very little in the final third. And when I looked at the league table this season and last season, it maybe summed it up. Um, I think last season, although they finished seventh uh, in the top 12 teams, only Torino and Juventus scored less than Fiorentina and both conceded quite a bit less than them. And I looked at the table this season and sure enough, only the bottom three teams in the league, uh, Verona, Cremonese and Samp, have scored less goals than Fiorentina. So it's maybe a hard game to gauge from a Hearts perspective because they're playing Atalanta, who 
went level on points top of the table with that win so it's a good Atalanta side it's a hard place to go I don't think Atalanta are quite as swashbuckling as they were in previous seasons but still a very good side so there wasn't an awful lot of match um, of goal mouth action I should say throughout the game from either side Atalanta looked slightly more threatening but I suppose the positive for me Matteo and you can maybe elaborate on this was they looked very toothless going forward, Fiorentina, mm. and there was not much creativity in this when they got into Atalanta's half. Yeah, the toothlessness is not surprising, but the creative aspect is where I've been a bit shocked because this season, looking at the positives, uh, Fiorentina have actually raised their game against two of the best teams that they faced. They outplayed a Napoli side that is tied with Atalanta at the top of the table at home and, and drew nil-nil. And then they drew 0-0-1-1 against Juventus, who, okay, they've had their troubles, but it still is Juventus. It's the biggest game for Fiorentina fans. That's their main rival. And they completely and thoroughly outplayed them. So that's more the Fiorentina that I've known since the manager Vincenzo Italiano took over. He's this young Italian manager that's very attack-minded, high press off the ball, high line, take big risks and attack. And his whole thing is creating chances and outscoring your opposition more so than sitting back on a league and, and, and being uh, on a lead and being compact and, and being defensively stout, which is why it's very worrying when your manager, who is known for his offensive style, suddenly has a team that can't score because you know that then they're not really going to be able to defend too well because the defense naturally takes risks because of what's asked from them by the manager, they'll, they'll sit high, they will leave gaps at the back. So, you know, a, a team that has a quick center forward, I think, could cause a few problems to Fiorentina, which is the, the, the way that they push up the fullbacks, that the, the center backs are usually around the halfway line. And yeah, I mean, Atalanta's not a good gauge just because they've been on fire. They've been sensational, surprising team. And at home, they've been uh, back to being very good. But there are other games where Fiorentina have seemingly raised their performances, depending on who their opposition is, almost raising their game to the level uh, of the other team. But then on the flip side, they've also lowered it. And, and I think you look at the Europa League group stage and see how poor they've been. They're in last place. This is a desperate, desperate game for them. And Rocco Camiso, who's never been shy about uh, voicing his opinion, he's, he's come out in the media a few times. He's someone who is going to get frustrated and is going to lash out so i think the minimum is is getting out of this uh group for sure the one thing we spoke about there matteo the three of us was the creativity for fiorentina and you and i every time we did fiorentina we loved watching uh, gaetano castrovilli and i'm sure you're going to mm. mention because you always did every time we did a game his <laughs> athletic style because he kind of helped train as a dancer when he was younger but but he's such a good player but he's out for the the rest of this year uh, because of an ACL, isn't he? Yeah, it's it's really bad news because he was a player that I think a lot of people were excited about watching. And, and last season, Mark, he didn't really continue the trajectory upwards from when we were calling him, when you saw this incredibly elegant and graceful player on the ball who was supremely technical. But I think the problem with Castrovilli was the final third end product. Yes, you can look nice on the ball. You can dance around with it. But at the end of the day, what's the end product? What is actually being generated from all these movements that you're doing in the midfield? And, and the answer to that is not a, whole mut, uh, not a whole lot in terms of goals or assists. So, you know, aside from Castrovilli, they, they still have a lot of creative 
minded midfielders. You, you yeah. just look throughout the team, even the, the the one that played against Atalanta. You know, Mandragora is a is a, d- a deep line playmaker. Jack Bonaventura is a very experienced attacking midfielder. Barak is supposed to be uh, another outlet in, in terms of linking the midfield with the attack. So it's not like they don't have the names. But for whatever reason, everything's gone so wrong. One win in their last 10 is, is just not good enough for this team that I had thought was going to break in to the top six. I had them about fifth or sixth in the Europa League zone before the season started. But then again, I was wrong on all my predictions. Napoli were mm-hmm. 25-1 to one underdog. Now they're leading the table. Atalanta were like 50-1, to one, and they're also leading the table. So it is a wildly unpredictable Serie mm-hmm. And I think what hurts Fiorentina is that the teams above them, for the most part, have gotten better. And they're just kind of still left in that gray zone where they're just outside the Europa League in terms of expectations. And, you know, that doesn't really count for much because you could be either in 14th place or 7th place and nothing really changes. Yeah. How seriously are they are they taking this? Given their first two results, an awful mm. um, result at home to the Latvians and then uh, thumped, in Istanbul against Bashak Shahir. Look, this is let's let's cut to the chase here. They are odds on favourites against Hearts, despite their, their recent form. They have a physicality and a threat from set plays. Barak in midfield, very tall, will get forward. Igor and Martinez Quartra, um, the Argentine centre back, they will have that threat deliveries from, from Bonaventura. But with their struggles in Serie A right now, 11th in the table and a defeat at the weekend against Atalanta, they might not have made too many changes after the Juve game to face RFS at home. Are you expecting them to name their strongest lineup in this one? Or do you think they're now going to start to focus on on trying to get better in Serie A? That's a great question. I think you have to go with the the lineup that played against Istanbul, Bashak Shahir, where they lost 3-0 away. In Turkey, a game that Ikone got a red card. But for the most part, I think about six players out of the 11 are not normal first-team players. And this is something that goes on every single season. That is a bit frustrating to me with a lot of the Italian sides. Not not all of them, because you had Roma in the Conference League that Jose Mourinho said he was going to treat like the Champions League. They go all the way to the final and win it, and it's a great story, and it, it gives them silverware. But a lot of the other teams, they they you know they fight all season long in a, in a really difficult top half of the Serie A, they make a Europa League place, and then they get to the Europa League, and, and the results just aren't there. And not only that, but then they start rotating, and there is definitely the question of, are some of these teams just not taking it seriously because they're aiming for top four? Well, I don't think that's a realistic trajectory for Fiorentina. So, you know, if you're aiming for fifth or sixth yet again, which will only get you into the Europa League again, then you know why not actually compete in the in the European competition that you're in, and and do play some of your strongest players and kind of follow the Roma model because at the end of the day Roma have a trophy to show for what they did last season in the Conference League. Okay, it's the third best European competition, but it's still something. It's still something to add to a trophy yeah. cabinet that for a lot of these teams doesn't have a whole lot. I always find it a bit daft how players do their best to, to get their team into Europe, and then when they're in Europe. The rest players it's having got into, isn't it? Just it makes no <laughs> sense. What's what's more important for La Viola? The game at Tynecastle on Thursday against Hearts, or the Lazio game in Florence on Sunday? Uh, I'm I'm, g- I'm gonna have to say the game at home uh, on Monday, Sunday Monday, against Monday, Sorry, 
So, yeah, Monday, sorry, yeah, Monday, October 8th. Yeah, it, it has to be the Lazio game. So that's why I wouldn't be surprised, given that it is the conference, given that they are in such a bad spot in the second half of the table in Serie A, that the manager of Vincenzo Italiano, who a lot of us were picking as the hipster choice for manager of the year, you know, <laughs> this continues. I, I can't see Rocco Comiso being that much more patient with him. By the way, and I, uh, I, I don't want to put it on the manager because I think Vincenzo De Jano is a brilliant manager and I actually thought he could have moved on to a bigger club. I thought he could have done a very good job at Juventus. I think that's exactly what a team like Juventus needed. So to think that one win in their last 10, how much more could this continue? We've seen much more shocking dismissals. And I think you're more likely to get dismissed because of your poor form in Serie A than I do your poor form in the conference, which, let's face it, was a European competition that was just added last year that doesn't have a whole lot of history behind it. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Here's one for you, Laurie and Matteo. You know how, obviously, Matteo knows of, about my affiliation to to Hearts. Every time we did a game, I would always tell him how we got on. There is a connection between the two sides, and it's someone that that Matteo has mentioned a couple of times. Rocco Comiso, who's the uh, he's the Italian American, the New Yorker, who's the owner and chairman of the Cosmos. Did you know, Laurie, that the first team ever? to beat the New York Cosmos or Heart of Midlothian on the 21st of May, 1971. There you go. That is as tenuous a link as you could ever find. I'm, I'm clinging on to it. There you go. Uh, Great research there, Mark. <laughs> I was aware of that, but I wouldn't have got it if you'd asked me to 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 guess the link before you'd said it. But now you say it, I, I am aware of it. I mean, the other link between the two teams is someone who I know there is going to be um, certainly homage paid. I think there's going to be some flags and such like honouring him, which is Stefano Salvatore, who of course yeah. played for for both clubs, Fiorentina 1990 to 92, and then Hearts 96 to 99. So, um, but it these you know it, Fiorentina and Hearts I've never met before. Um, Hearts, uh, I'm well, I, was, I was looking at Scottish teams and Italian teams. Fiorentina have met Rangers previously of course remember um, that Rangers won on penalties didn't they on the run to the UEFA Cup final in yeah, well, yeah 61 uh, Fiorentina defeated Rangers in the semi-final of the Cup Winners Cup before mm-hmm. they went and won their only European trophy and of course the one that people will tend to remember now is 2008 when they lost to Rangers after two nil-nil draws and Rangers went on and lost the UEFA Cup final um uh, Matteo you, you know you you won't be too aware of of hearts and their style and how they'll approach this but mm-hmm. From a perspective of Hearts being the underdogs here, of course, we know Fiorentina have much superior quality in terms of the players they have available, the technical ability. If Hearts fans are listening to this and looking for some hope and optimism about how they might upset the odds here and get a result, how will that sort of result transpire, do you think? What will happen on Thursday for Hearts to get a positive result? I would assume it's the willingness, the work rate, how much more probably means to the Hearts players to get out of this group stage than it does the Fiorentina players, some of whom have been on the biggest teams, who have been in the Champions League, who have played games for, you know, in, in, in front of some of the biggest rivalries and crowds. So I, I wonder if for some of these players on Fiorentina, 
they feel like this tournament is a little bit beneath them. And, and I say that thinking that it's very unfair to do so because I love to see the respect that Roma showed the Conference League and it was the only Italian side to make a European final last season. And, you know, I think the frustrating thing as, as someone who does cover Italian teams is also the optics of having teams like Fiorentina not get out of the Conference League group stage. It's quite frankly embarrassing. And, you know, you, you kind of wonder if, if the players or the manager just aren't prioritizing it because they don't really care at the end of the day to expend so much energy in a midweek competition when, you know, in Serie A, you can finish top four and make a whole lot more money by finishing in, 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 in a spot that guarantees you Champions League. So I would assume that for the Hearts perspective, not having watched Hearts at all, that it would have to be through the home atmosphere the the willingness and, and desire from the players and just simply winning those 50-50 balls, uh, maybe getting a set piece or two, because I wouldn't expect the team to hold on to a whole lot of possession if it is the usual Fiorentina that will choke you yeah. in your own half and uh, maybe a counterattack, maybe a set piece. Um, but I would be surprised if a goal is created because of uh, domination and possession in, in, in open play. I, I would assume it to be a very quick vertical pass or a set piece that could... Uh, uh, spell the end of Fiorentina in this competition. Yeah, I was gonna... the... Sorry, Laurie, on you go. No, I was just going to say, you know, although the Atalanta game, from what you said, is maybe not a good barometer of Fiorentina as a whole, certainly they did dominate possession until the latter stages yeah. when they started throwing the ball forward. They weren't really testing Atalanta much. They did get a few chances towards the end, but they did dominate the ball. Is that how you expect them to play, dominate the ball? And you said quite an aggressive press as well from them? Yeah, because even the midfielders that they can rotate in, they're all very capable with the ball at their feet. They all know how to play it and, and, and play it quickly. And the manager is going to demand at least that. So the biggest issue is, and especially for the wingers, because they do have these quick wingers that when you're choking a team in, in the in the opposition's half, these guys on the on the flanks like Gonzalez and Icona, who is red carded, but still a lot of quick wingers. Sotil is another one. They like to run in acres of space, and that's where it sort of breaks down sometimes. And I think that's where a lot of the pressure is then on the striker. If everything's forced out wide, can he be the one, whoever it is leading the line, to win balls in the air, whether it's Artur Cabral or, or, or Luka Jovic, or to just be a presence with your back to goal and, and invite some of the midfielders to make the runs forward? Because then they also have midfielders who are great at shooting from distance, like Barak and, and Bonaventura. So they have different ways to, to hurt you, and that's why it's so surprising, given how good I've seen this team play under Italiano, that they have struggled so mightily, especially against teams that they should be mm. dominating. I mean, especially the conference. You know, Istanbul, Bashakshir may be a tougher test than a team from Latvia, who I can't even pronounce. But still, they should be, you know, really taking it to these teams that are a lot more modest in terms of wage bill and expectations. That game against RFS, if Fiorentina had won that, 6-1, no one would have batted an aisle because he had 31 yeah. shots and it was just, look, it's just one of those days and and to be fair, RFS had, had one more, another chance that, that they maybe should have done better with, but they were total dominance and I just wonder with, with one point from two games where they probably would have expected at least four, probably six, if they might think that, you know, the last year game might be more important, that's certainly from a Hearts perspective and what we're hoping this is a game for us against Italian opponents that we've not faced Italian opponents in Europe yep. since since 1990. We, we, we were beaten 4-3 on aggregate 
by Bologna. But the similarities, I want to talk about the stadium that the Hearts fans can look forward to to going to because they reckon there could be as many as 5,000 Hearts fans travelling to Florence. What could possibly go wrong um, next week <laughs> or in, in, in a couple of weeks? The Stadio Dallara, any Bologna uh, Hearts fans that were in Bologna in 1990s, it's kind of similar, isn't it, Matteo? It's old school. It's kind mm-hmm. of... Not much. There's there's a roof over the main stand. There's the pillar and the tower over on the far side. What can Hearts fans expect when they go to Artemio Franchi for the return leg? Well, I hope that the visiting fans have planned a, a vacation around their trip and gone to see one of the most beautiful places on earth, the surrounding Tuscan hills, and, and maybe do a vineyard run before the temperature gets too cold. This is such a brilliant time to be in Tuscany and, and in Italy, when the tourism dies down, the, the actual stadium is nothing special, let's be honest. It, it is older and decaying. And, you know, I think with Rocco Camiso's arrival, there are plans to rejuvenate it a bit more. The viewing angles aren't terrible, but I think what you'll notice is that, you know, the stands, they look like they need a, a fresh lick of paint. And I, I doubt we'll have the most energetic Fiorentina crowd in any conference league game, you know they'll they'll normally. You mean turn they're up not selling? Video. They're not selling Fiorentina <laughs> and Hearts half and half scarves over in Florence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they should. I think we got to get in business with Rocco and uh, and get him to start selling <laughs> some merchandise there for the Hearts fans that will undoubtedly be making a ton, a ton of noise. Maybe even matching the one from the Curva Fiesole, which is where the Fiorentina Ultras uh, sit. So I think more so than the stadium. Uh, make sure to, uh, to, to to plan a little vacation in the surrounding areas because that's probably going to be the best part of the trip. Yeah, Lonnie, so I'm you're going to Rome for two nights. Yeah, you're staying in <laughs> Rome. By the way, Bonetti. Um, Lottie, and Lottie kind of, he was the one that told me about Trastevere before I even knew you because you've got a friend, Lottie, haven't you, from Trastevere near um, on the outskirts of Rome to do with Francesco. Oh, there we Conti. go. Well, uh, well, my friend's just from Rome, generally, not Trastevere, but um, yeah, I like the Totti link. So I've been to see Trastevere play, away from home, actually, against uh, Al- Albino Lefe in the... Albino Lefe, wow. Yes, Serie D. I went to, <laughs> I went to Roma Atalanta one day, and then the following day I went to, to the uh, Albino against Trastevere in Serie D. I, I, I've oh, always man. had a fondness for Roma since Football Italia in the 90s, so I've been to the the curva suit a few times. I was there for Totti's final game, actually, so that was uh, that was an experience. So, is it just a quick question to psych myself up a little bit for this game for Hearts fans? This is a, bit, a very big deal, isn't it? Oh, huge! This is this is massive. I mean, this is for Hearts fans. The away game in particular will be ninety five percent about the experience. Um, there will be even if Hearts win on Thursday, I don't think there'll be many going to Florence with huge expectations of a result. So, yeah, we've we've only been in Europe in the last decade once, and we were defeated by Birkirkara of Malta. So yeah, that's not great. That's it's still a beautiful great. vacation spot, but <laughs> it's very not warm, a great result, but... is it? No, so so this is huge, huge, huge for Hearts, and you know we've had. It was funny, you know, I was looking at Fiorentina last season; they finished seventh, um, best finish since 2016. And Hearts are similar in a way that last season they finished third, and that was their best finish since 2016. So, um, probably a bit more positivity around Hearts last season, I would imagine, than Fiorentina from the outside. 
But this is a big deal for Hearts, and I guess the challenge for Hearts is to try and manage regular European football and domestic football, because unlike Fiorentina, who I know have been in the group stages quite recently, they've went all the way to the semi-final in 2015, Hearts have only ever been in group stages on one occasion. That was 2004, and you might remember, uh, Matteo, that was when it was the group of five and you played each other once the very early UEFA Cup groups. Mm. So we as a club are not accustomed to having this regular Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday football. That's why many will say in a a way that we've started the season with maybe being a little bit off form. We've had a few injuries as well. Um, That was a very long-winded Mark Donaldson-esque answer to saying, (laughs) yes, this doubleheader against Fiorentina is massive for Hearts fans. Matteo, are Fiorentina shiting themselves at facing Hearts? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, with all due respect, I don't Do think a care? lot of the players <laughs> have even have even heard of many Scottish teams, except for Celtic and Rangers. You know, that's just the the, the reality for a lot of these players. I mean, think of like a, a Luka Jovic, right, who was playing and training for years at Real Madrid and. You know, alongside Ballon d'Or winners and, and some of the best players to, in, in the modern century, certainly the 21st century, that now, you know, how do you get up in the morning? And, and, and again, you should because you're a professional and you're getting paid a lot of money for it. But, you know, I use him as an example because he hasn't started off the season great. And, you know, there are questions about his form at Real Madrid after his big money move. But, you know, how do you get up out of bed and say, oh, I can't wait to face Hearts in, in the Conference League and, you know, <laughs> score a hat trick and, and tell all my friends about it? So that, that I, I fear that that's sort of the mentality with a lot of these, uh, you know, supposed stars uh, for teams that are in the top five European leagues that are playing in the Conference League. I don't think it's a fair one, but, you know, I have heard as well from some ex-players, and this is from when they're playing the Europa League, and, if you're normally used to playing the Champions League, then the motivation levels aren't the same. So now think about playing Champions League and then going two tiers down to the Conference League. I wish it wasn't the case because I want all Italian teams to do well. I think it helps the brand and I think it obviously helps the teams as well, uh, especially a team like Fiorentina that doesn't exactly win trophies on a yearly basis. But uh, that's, I think, the sad reality. So what to do with Attitude? As well, isn't it? Exactly what you're saying. I'm looking at Luka Jovic's his, his career so far. He, he moved from Eintracht Frankfurt to Real Madrid for 60, 60 million euros. And, and he's kind of stalled since then. But you don't become a bad player overnight. I just wonder, do you think they'll start him? Because looking at the games so far... Um, that they've played. I mean, at the weekend when they were beaten 1-0 at Atalanta, they went with Kwame um, through the middle. They've played others in that position. Um, who was <laughs> who was who was sent off? And although this is going off topic, it does amuse me that the referee was. Um, we we have lots of complaints, Matteo, in Scotland about refereeing, but the referee who doesn't the Atal- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But the referee in Atalanta Fiorentina game just seemed so indecisive, and he sent off Kwame, which was harsh. It was a high boot. It wasn't really a red card, and then he went and reviewed it himself and took back his red card. But it just that was, that was ira- by the way, that was Irati as well, not Erratic. But we, I mean, Matteo <laughs> Irati was was one of the better referees when when we yeah. did it, but he's clearly had a howler. I think the problem I, I know is Mark had that Mark had that joke in his uh, in his sleeve the whole whole week. I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> but typical but I don't Mark know dad joke. So. 
and, and this is this is I'm, I'm I feel like I've taken the Mark Donaldson role today because I'm going to go in a VAR. Th- <laughs> in Scotland, there's many people who can't wait for VAR because they think it's going to answer all our problems. But when I've watched Italian football, especially with VAR, I think sometimes what it does is it gives officials an excuse not to make decisions. Um, and that's a good point. And it impacts the flow. It doesn't seem to be as as bad as when it first came in and I don't watch I tend to watch Roma if I watch Syria so I won't pretend I watch game after game but um, yeah I don't know if it's always the answer I don't know how you feel about it in Syria remember, remember the handball all the time the first season that we did at Mateo mm. and how VAR and hand, you just blasted that against someone's arm penalty yep so we've we've had a lot of referees that have actually been suspended because of how atrocious they were and this is during the VAR era where as a referee, you actually have a do-over attempt where you can royally screw up and then be given a second chance to correct your mistake. And if you can't spot it then twice with all the camera angles, you know, it, there's always going to be errors made because it is a human after all, VAR. It's not a computer that's based on perfect metrics and, and lines and stuff. So at the end of the day, there is a human that has to sign off. But that's the funniest thing to me about this whole VAR era is that it, it has limited the amount of mistakes, but for anyone who thought that it was going to completely eradicate mistakes, that's going going to be impossible, especially in a game that's as fluid as football, where every foul is different from the one before. You know, every single penalty is completely different. So that's to me the the, the funniest thing about VAR. And you have these royal screw ups where referees from Seattle will then get banned for you know two months or a, a whole month and, and and miss really important games because of how bad the performance was, which I think is because of all the rule changes, Mark. And I know Mark keeps in in, in touch and has the IFAB uh, Bible in his shirt pocket every time he's doing the games. They're the ones who change the laws of the game on a yearly basis, but they've been changed so much. And the interpretations of the handball and the gray areas and this, is it involuntary? Does that even matter? That I don't think anyone even knows what the rule, the, the laws, excuse me, not the rules, because Mark will tell you off for that. I don't think anyone even knows what the laws are anymore. Not even the players. It's the way they're applied. Well, that's the thing. You and I have had that discussion many times. Most of the players that play just play. They don't know. A lot of them don't know the laws of the game. You'll see them protesting and complaining about something, and they've got no clue what they're protesting or, or complaining about. I think it's the inconsistency of interpretation. And that's what's intriguing. I'm on the UEFA website right now, still waiting on the uh, the appointment of the <laughs> I was match just officials. Checking that as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still waiting on the, the appointment of the match official. Because I think it's important, Matteo, because you'll have seen it when you, when you do many games outside of Italy as well, especially the European games. Some referees let you away with a little bit more, and that's kind of more the maybe the British or the Scandinavian ones. But if you if you get a kind of Hispanic or an Italian or a a kind of Eastern European one. A lot depends on on where the officials are from, how much you mm. actually get away with. That's not the way it should be. The, the laws of the game should be applied uh, unanimously and consistently, but it doesn't work like that, does it? No, it doesn't. And having covered the Turkish League, I've never seen that many fouls be let go than when I covered the Turkish Super League uh, years ago. So it's always funny to me when you see a Turkish league then having to get uh, officiated by a, a top five European ref, let's say, is that they quickly realize how many yellow cards they should have gotten all along. But you're absolutely right. Like different referees have different... Every league, I think, is is refereed a little bit different. I mean, just look at the VAR in England. I think it's so much more 
picky than it is in Italy. It's so much more focused on the minute details of the millimeter. Is the armpit offside or not? I don't know how it is uh, in Scotland, but uh, but it, it definitely is a big difference that I've seen from England to Italy. And who knows who the referee will be in this game? But well, I would, we're going to have like I four cameras, think, I think. <laughs> I, yeah, I would. Uh, I would assume that uh, that Hearts will probably take the physical route against a team that tries to play possession, right? Because that's well, how that's you can bit, kind of negate it. Is you you make the game dirty, you take the beauty out of the game, right? A bit stereotypical, big physical Hearts. We're not though. That's the thing. We're, we're not. not no, no we're, we're not a big side. And and you've seen Fiorentina a few times this season. How would you rate their physicality? As uh, look, they've got wonderful players. Technical ability is fantastic. But how would you rate like from set plays and 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 mm. their ability to mix it up? Well, their best uh, player on set pieces is Nikola Milankovic. He's the center back that's been linked to big clubs for the last four or five years. He was supposed to go to Napoli to be the replacement of Khalidou Koulibaly. Napoli actually ended up getting the best defender from the month of September, Kim Min Jae, who's been sensational, but that's not for this podcast. I think Milankovic is at six foot four. He's the obvious threat. Uh, not been though, has he? He's not been, it wasn't. That's is he not going to be back on Thursday? Yeah, that's that's the issue for Fiorentina as well, is that he's the, the by far the best centre-back that they have at their disposal. I think Martinez Quarta he had a decent game against Atalanta, but he's got a mistake in him. I'm not fully convinced by him. Igor, uh, better known for being the most uh, muscular defender in the league, Mark. You might remember all the swole jokes and the protein powder. He's yeah. he's fine. He's definitely, in terms of physicality, he's probably the most physical-looking defender. But the midfield, I wouldn't characterize as physical. I'd say the midfield, apart from Amrabat. Uh, Amrabat, who is... He's the holding player. midfielder, he he's is a really good he's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's very aggressive, gets stuck in on a challenge, can play with the ball at his feet. Um, but uh, forward from that, it's more flair, technical players than physicality, especially up top and in the wide areas. What about behind the defenders? Because uh, mm. you, if you watch it, you would have watched the game yesterday, Matteo. <laughs> and uh, I, I wasn't overly impressed by, is it Terracciano? In goals, there was a moment. <laughs> where, there was a moment where he ran off his line. The ball came through, and it literally bounced over his head. Yeah, Terracciano is an interesting one because he was always the backup, right? I don't think he's a City A quality starter, but last season he was actually pretty good. I think he, oh, oh he was, um, let's say, uh, underrated in terms of his performances. He made some really good reflex saves when everyone thought he's no more than a backup. And then over the summer, they brought back uh, Golini to City. I was actually a former Atalanta keeper. He went to the Premier League, couldn't get a starting role there. But uh, the expectation was that Golini overall is definitely a better, well-rounded keeper than, uh, than Terracciano. But Golini has had a mistake already this season. So it, it hasn't been the clearest uh, situation there at the back, but you're absolutely right. Terracciano is not someone that I'm 100% relaxed in if I'm a Fiorentina fan, if he's in, bet in between the pipes. Okay, Matteo. So what we like to do on the podcast is make a little prediction about what's going to happen in the game. Now, um, you're obviously in a slight disadvantage here because you haven't seen anything of Hearts. Um, well, so for, two, for, for 18 months. 
for 18 months. Um, and I've seen very little of Fiorentina. I've, I've seen a couple of games. Uh, Mark's seen a bit of them, but but obviously not as much as yourself. Um, do you dare give a, a score prediction for Thursday's game? You know what? Because I'm on a Hearts podcast, and just because Fiorentina, you have no idea what they're getting, what we're getting from them. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a one-one. Let's say if it's seventy percent possession, Fiorentina, they have twenty shots. You know, it's one of those games, and then Hearts, Hearts from you know one set piece or much fewer chances are able to be a little bit more efficient with their chances. So I'll go one-one. I wouldn't be shocked by that. And how could you with some of the recent results? I'd be um I'd be pleasantly surprised, put it that way. <laughs> what do you reckon? Like? What do I reckon? Mm. Um uh, my head says <laughs> a routine two 0 Fiorentina win, uh not blowing us away with goal after goal, but hearts struggling to lay a glove on them and going out with a little bit of a whimper against a team which are technically far superior. However, uh, despite tweets that we've received going, why do you always predict Hearts wins after we both, of course, predicted Hearts would beat Rangers and they got beat 4-0 at the weekend, <laughs> we, ha- we have established before there's no real point in us making predictions for Hearts to lose, even when they're playing Rangers, even when they're playing Celtic, even when they're playing Fiorentina. It's just boring, isn't it? Um, we maybe have to change that slightly for the away leg. Maybe the away leg, sorry, <laughs> the return game. Um, that's what my head says. So I'm gonna go with my gonna go with my heart. Why the hell not? Hearts will win two one based on oh, absolutely nothing apart from absolute blind hope. Wow, <laughs> uh, I would take Mateo's result and run. I, oh, I, so would I. One one. <laughs> so I, would I, I. I don't think it'll happen. No, but... no of, of course. I'm not. I'm not. We'll stick with the blind optimism. Look, we beat Bayern Munich in Europe, Matteo. Yes, it was 1989, <laughs> but we have had decent results in in the past. I'd love it. I'd love nothing more than than this to be a decent result. However, there, it's like. Hartman Midlothian Football Club is a benevolent fund for teams that are struggling. If you need a little boost to your confidence, come and play hard. You have not won. You've only won once yeah, in ten. And that's when we're playing I'm like a... St. Mirren or something, <laughs> not Fiorentina. Fiorentina haven't... They, their form's been shite of late as well. So, I mean, I notice I'm on odds checker right now. There has been a little bit of money at heart of, on hearts. Um, nine to two. What's the line? To one. Nine to two hearts. Um, into it's all the blind optimism. All the blind Fiorent- optimism. Fiorentina four to six favorite. I, I honestly, I've been over here, Matteo, thirteen years, and I still don't really get the plus one fifty and all that the way they are over here. But Fiorentina are minus one fifty, I think. Um, so that, that that means that to win a hundred dollars, you have to bet hundred fifty dollars. Yes, that's on, on on Fiorentina. That's how big a favorite yeah. they are yeah. for the away game. I mean, the home game is going to be something else. But, look, a lot depends on how seriously they take it. A lot depends on, on their attitude, their application. And a lot depends on the lineup selected by Vitali- uh, Italiano. Because if they've got Lazio at the weekend and they think, you know what, we still think that our fringe players mixed with our first-choice players should be good enough to beat Hearts, then, then who knows? But if they're up for it, I don't think we have much of a chance but I don't know if they'll be up for it, so I'll, I'll, I'll go a two-two, a Desmond, a two-two. There you go, some mm-hmm. Thursday night 
fun and frolics and gorgy. Oh, was that someone's bottle just crashed? <laughs> Hopefully not hearts. Yeah. <laughs> so we're 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 in we're in more hope than optimism, Matteo. But um, thank you for for kind of coming on and and explaining to us about uh, about Fiorentina and and telling the Hearts fans what to expect when they head over to 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 Florence. I I have to say I think that the locals will be pleasantly surprised. The the publicans will will certainly make plenty of money from this, but. I just wonder who the last because Istanbul Bashakshi here have got like three men and a dog that support them. Our uh, RFS from Lazio, uh, from Lazio, from um, from Latvia. I've got a few more, but not too many. I wonder who the last team um, that Fiorentina faced that would take nearly five thousand away fans, and it's it's creeping up. Would did be... um, mention? Did I read that mention Gladbach? They would have taken recent years took uh, quite a few. Uh, that would have been twenty sixteen seventeen. Uh, someone told me that they actually extended the usual away capacity for that game. It's usually what two thousand three hundred. I don't know if this is accurate. It's just someone mentioned to me that they'd extended it, which was, I think, the last time Fiorentina were in Europe before this season. Is that it right? Was. Yeah, they reached 17? around around thirty two and lost four three in aggregate to. To mention Gladbach, yeah, they would have, they would have taken plenty, and I imagine Spurs would have taken a few the season before as well. In fact, Spurs played them back to back here. So basically, every season. Well, they've not been in the, in Europe since twenty seventeen, <laughs> so they're a bit, a bit like I Hearts. Know. I know. Who knows? Fingers crossed. Matteo, thank you for for coming on and, and being part of it. And um, tell your. Uh, uh, by the way, remember when if we ever said anything nasty about Fiorentina, Camiso would get in touch with us and say we need to be nicer <laughs> about his side. When he watched on ESPN, but those were the days, and and Ribery's gone, and as has Vlaovic. Hopefully, those that are left go easy on Hearts, and a Hearts win. And I tell you what, that would be us in pole position to get through to the next round. It's just a pipe dream, or is it? <laughs> we'll soon find out. Thank you very much, Matteo. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, and uh, can't wait for it. I can't wait for the game. I might even have a soft spot for Hearts after having this chat with you, lovely fellows. You should have by now, son. You had it drammed down your throat for three years. Well, definitely not from you, but from your uh, partner, Laurie, then maybe, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our segment with Italian football correspondent and good friend of Mark Donaldson, was Mr. Matteo Bonetti. Mm. And um, a really good insight, as you would expect from someone who's got such experience and knowledge of Serie A into Hearts opponents on Thursday. And from a plus side, from a Hearts perspective, Mark, uh, someone who genuinely seems to have um, a little bit of optimism about what Hearts could do <laughs> against the Serie A side. Isn't it funny how you were talking about people messaging us saying, fucking hell, your predictions are just disgusting. They're ridiculous. There's two teams and, and stop predicting your team to beat Rangers when you get thumped 4-0. Look, I think when when we had Yanis on previewing the RFS game, the Latvian football journalist, I would take <laughs> I'd take a lot more kind of um thoughts and and kind of believability from their thought process on the game than than maybe ours, who we only see it through maroon tinted glasses. And Yanis thought a good result for RFS would be a draw, and he tipped Hearts to win. Hearts did win. Mateo's going for a draw. 
with uh, at Tynecastle certainly, and I mean he's seen a fair bit of Fiorentina. They they are different from when him and I commentated to together. They're they're in a bit of a rut, but as were Zurich when when we played them. So I hope we don't respect them too much. I hope we're not frightened of the name because we've got to worry about ourselves. We've got I'm to. Fri- I'm, I'm frightened of the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, this is what you want to be involved in. You want to be a Hibs fan on Thursday night looking to see if if David Dickinson's got something on Channel 5 or, or something. No, you want to be involved. You want to be at time We're watching you the Gorgie to... on a Thursday night, of course. Exactly, exactly. So this is where we want to be. So we oh, have a platform. Sorry, I've got it in my head now. Just... Just not just be cautious as far as game plan is concerned, not gung ho. But respect them. Yeah, they're good players, but get in their face. Mm. Don't give them a chance to honestly, you let them play, we're screwed. They've got players that would destroy us because they're a much better side than us and with much better players than us. But they drew it home against RFS. I'm not saying they underestimated them. They had loads of chances, and it's just one of those days. And RFS weren't good in that game, even though they got a one-all draw. Utilise this support. Packed house, brilliant night, atmosphere under the lights. This is what you want. This is what it's all about for Hearts. And if you're going, just know that there are thousands more of us that can't be there for whatever reason, all around the globe. But we'll be watching. We'll be listening, we'll be wishing we were there, and we're hoping, from our perspective, that you can make some noise for us, as well as for the team. Yeah, and I hope the Hearts fans stick with the team. I think it's one of those things, there's been a lot of discussion about the Tynecastle atmosphere on social media, on the likes of Kickback, and it can be great, but there is a tendency, and this this is very much a, a, a Scottish and a British thing, actually, that... Um, many fans, if it goes against you, if you go a goal down, you, it's just silence and it's the other team's fans who make the noise. Whereas in the likes of Italy, one of the differences I've noticed, certainly going to Roma games, is it's almost a defiance. If your team is up against it, or they go behind. Sometimes the support gets louder because mm-hmm. it's to try and it's to try and respond, to try and spur yeah. them on, to try and show a reaction. So I hope on Thursday fans realise, you know, Hearts are playing. If Fiorentina are on their game, we could be in for a very tough night. Stick with the team because it could, even if it just means that they're spurred on to give a better account themselves. And if the result doesn't go our way, but you know we give Fiorentina a good fight, you know, I, although I'll be disappointed, I think many will take that. Um, I think the problem with the Bishakshah here game is they were a much better team than us. I think we could have been on our game that night and we would have still lost, probably comfortably, but. We didn't show up. We made it easy for them, and it could have been six or seven quite easily. Let's give Fiorentina a run for the money. If they yeah. come away from Tynecastle with three points, let's make sure they get into that dressing room. They've got mud on their shorts, mud on their shirts, and they realise, Jesus, they made us work for that win. What a night that was, and that is a hard-earned win. Let's not have them come in um, with clean shirts thinking... Well, that was a that was a walk in the park. I wouldn't mind doing that again. That was fun. Let's not make it fun. Let's make it hard for them. That's the main thing. Make it a tough night. Let's make it a night that in 2030, however many years' time, 
we look back on and we go, remember that night at Tyne Castle against Fiorentina? Now, yeah. as, as, as daft as that might sound, we are talking about, remember that night, March 1989, against Bayern Munich. Well, end of, end of February, 28th of February. We're still talking about that night. No one who was there will ever forget it, right? When we were talking with Matteo about both sides, and, and you mentioned Hearts hadn't been in Europe since 2016 and the, the horrors of Birko Kara, but the night that we beat Bayern Munich, Ian Ferguson, we could have faced Napoli. The night we beat Atletico Madrid. Even Robbo posted recently on his social media accounts how big a night that was. And and if we'd kept it at 2-0 after Colquhoun had scored before Kosecki pulled one back, then who knows what might have happened. I know we lost the, the away leg by three goals to nil. But most of... When you're a side like Hearts, your success is cup competitions if you're going to get any. You're not going to get it through the league or certain results in cup competitions. And in Europe, it's nights to look back on. Yeah. Remember when we were at Liverpool and we, we, we scored through David Templeton? No one who was there will ever forget that. It's about moments. It's about experiences. It's about trying to get a result. Braga, away from home. Bordeaux, Away from home, Stuttgart now, home. That's one of my. That was only my oh, second European an incredible game. Incredible night. We got put out, and there was only fourteen thousand or so there. But that was unbelievable that night. Unbelievable, in, in, incredible night. So it's been a while since we had one of those. I'm looking back at our recent wins in in Europe, right? At RFS in Estonia against Infonet, we beat them at home as well. Poch beating them at home. Dinamo Zagreb. Um, beating them 2-0 at home, but the tie was already over because we lost 4-0 at the Maximir. Shiroki Brieg. Basel was was the kind of last big European win. And I know we won in Latvia, but Basel was the game that not many people gave us a chance against Christian Gross's side. But we went there, Robbie Nielsen scored late on him, and we won 2-1. That happened in November 2004. That's nearly 18 years ago since we last had a proper European result. We're overdue. We are indeed. So let's hope this is the week. This is the time. Uh, we will be back after the Hearts Fiorentina game. So our next podcast will be available around Friday and we'll be giving immediate reaction to the result at Tynecastle from that game. Uh, if you want to get in touch in the meantime, you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk or you can Get us on Twitter at Around the Funnel. I almost gave the email twice there. Um, so let's hope it's a big European night under the lights at Tank Castle. Always magical. Hopefully, a big atmosphere and a big performance, and maybe, maybe a big result. Until then, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>